Thank you all for tuning in to the 412th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however you may be listening, thank you for making me and this show part of your day, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, IR Radio, SoundCloud, Pandora, whichever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via, being recorded from Buffalo, New York, per usual, going to have a great podcast for all you guys, going to have Colin Beasley, sports editor for the Villanovan to come on and talk some college basketball. We talk about Villanova, Jay Wright, the program, their run to the Final Four, and all of that. So that should be fun. And before I get to my conversation with Colin, we're going to give my shameless plug, as always. First-time listener, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads, Facebook groups, etc., etc. Check on the description below as well. Specifically, if you use Spotify, I have everything timestamped. So if there's certain parts of the podcast you'd rather listen to as opposed to others, click on the timestamp. It'll send you to whichever part of that of the podcast, right? It's for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at nitrate underscore lane. And subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lane. You will find it. I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here, as well as my syndicate show, Outside the Shop. And lastly, if you have Apple or iTunes, give me five stars and a great review for some odd reason, right? If you don't like the pod, then... Don't say anything, because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. Now, before we get to my conversation with Colin, I'm going to give a little bit of draft information. As you guys know, I've been going through, looking at the film, looking at the tape of all these games and all these players for the 2022 NFL Draft. I went through the quarterbacks uh, and the wide receivers. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through my running back rankings in this class, and then I'll also get into how this year's receiving class uh, compares to last year's class. Actually, right now, I'm going through the, uh, I went through the offensive line, so that should be coming out soon. I went through the offensive line, I'm going through the edge rushers and the interior defensive line, getting a little bit into linebackers, so still a whole lot more to go through, a whole lot more games. I'm starting to know these players better and better. Uh... So here's for the running back class. Let's start with this. Running back one, Isaiah Spiller out of Texas A&M. Uh, running back two, Zonovan Knight out of NC State. Running back three, Brees Hall out of Iowa State. Running back number four, Kenneth Walker III out of Michigan State. Running back number five, I made a quick change to this. Uh, before it was Jaron uh, Ely out of Ole Miss, and now I'm changing it to actually James Cook out of Georgia. So James Cook out of Georgia is my number five. Number six would be Jaron Ely. Number seven would be uh, Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame. Uh, number eight would be Brian Robertson Jr. out of Alabama. Number nine would be Pierre Strong Jr. out of South Dakota State. Number 10 would be Ty Chandler out of North Carolina. Number 11 would be Jerome Ford out of Cincinnati. Number 12 would be C.J. Verdell out of Oregon. Number 13 would be Hassan Haskins out of Michigan. Number 14 would be Rashad White out of Arizona State. Number 15 would be Zamir White out of Georgia. Number 16, Tyler Goodson out of Iowa. Number 17, Damian Pierce out of Florida. Number 18, uh, Keanate Ingram out of USC. And number 19, Tyler Aguilar out of BYU. So those are my 19 running backs that I got a chance to look through. 
Let's start with this, Isaiah Spiller. He is the only running back in this class, my number one overall prospect at the position, who I have a first-round grade on, Isaiah Spiller. Uh, I don't know why he's not everybody's uh, running back one. I guess I could see some other candidates, but Isaiah Spiller's special. Uh, first of all, his footwork, his quickness, his hips, it's amazing. His feet, I was almost like, this is Barry Sanders, and I'm using hyperbole. It's clearly not Barry Sanders, uh, probably who had the best feet of any running back ever, but it's pretty freaking elite. The way he's able to dance, move the coordination, make people miss in open space, make people miss in the mash, and also the acceleration and the speed to when he hits daylight, he's gone. He's also a very good receiver out of the backfield. He has underrated power. He has very good vision. He's very good at making cuts. He's very smooth, natural, and athletic. And again, he has that extra gear where he can get chunk plays, which I love. And the ability of the modern NFL to be a pass catcher out of the backfield. Self-explanatory. He split a lot of carries at AM, so he's a relatively fresh running back. I think he's a guy who could come in and be somebody of a Dalvin Cook give that type of production. I'm very high on Isaiah Spiller, and I think he's going to be very good very early in this league. At number two, Zonovan Knight out of NC State, a guy that you guys probably haven't heard a lot out of. Maybe I'm a little bit too high on him. He does not have the raw athleticism of some other guys, which maybe I should take into more of account when we're looking at the running back position, but here's what he can do. He does everything very well. Uh, he ran like a 4-5 or something like that, but on tape, when you look at him, he runs a lot faster. He runs hard. He has good power. He has good vision. He also, like Isaiah Spiller, he was in sometimes a three-back rotation at NC State, so he's definitely going to be fresh when he gets a chance to come in in the NFL. Uh, does a good job of following his blockers, his willingness to block. He's a very good blocker. NC State will leave him on a lot of the times uh, on third down uh, for blitz pickup. Uh, and he did a very impressive job with that. And the pure running aspect, like I said, the vision, the power, underrated speed, bounces off of tacklers. You could even see him on kick return a couple times, go for a long runs, and you're like, okay, this guy has a little something, something. So Zonovan Knight, my little Jim, he's a guy that could come out of nowhere a lot of people aren't talking about. Maybe like an Alfred Morris type year, and then you're like, oh, he has a thousand yards rushing. Number three, uh, Brees Hall out of Iowa State. Uh, he's a guy most people know who follow college uh, football. He is, like, what, 6'3", 220 pounds, something crazy like that. Uh Ran a 4.39 at the Combine. He's elite at making people miss and has fantastic cutting ability. Uh, with his elite quickness, uh, defenders can never get a clean hit on him. Uh, consistently made people miss in the backfield. The offensive line wouldn't block and he'd make, oh, one guy miss right in the backfield. Uh, and then again, he has the speed to accelerate and get large uh, chunks of yards. Number four, Kenneth Walker the third out of Michigan State. Uh, tons of production for this guy. Uh, finished second in the nation in total rushing yards. Big Thick running back, weighing 210 pounds. Uh, the former Michigan State running back, he runs with physicality. You can tell how he runs. He has good vision. He was very good at when there was nothing there in the hole, bouncing it out for long gains, underrated acceleration. Has decent hips and wiggles for a bigger back with some very underrated finesse to make linebackers miss in the open field. I love his acceleration and balance. Number five, uh, James Cook out of Georgia. He's somebody, again, you know, a theme like these other running backs, not a lot of wear and tear, shared a backfield with Zamir White, uh, 
very good catcher out the backfield. Might be the best pass catcher out the backfield in terms of running backs in this class. Can run real routes. His brother is Dalvin Cook. He has NFL bloodlines. Very good feet. Can make you miss. Uh, follows his blocks. Hard to get a clean hit on him. A lot of things you love to see from a running back. So, coupled with all that, I have him at number five. And then uh, Jerry Neely. He was a really cool watch for me. Really good at making you miss. Really good acceleration. He's probably a back that could never be a true number one. He's somebody that would fit in with a pool. And actually, all these five backs that I named, my top five backs, Cook, Hall, Knight, Spiller, and Walker, these are all guys who I could see being a number one feature running back for a few years. Who They have that type of physical ability in them. Now, in terms of guys who are NFL-ready in this class, uh, Kyron Williams out of Notre Dame and Brian Robinson out of Alabama. Both of those guys are guys who, when you think of maybe who won't get drafted in the first couple rounds, NFL ready can come in and will make an impact right away. These guys, there's no chance there's busts. Usually not many busts for running back because it's a pretty simplistic position, but these guys, you're sure of it, right? Kyron Williams, strong, physical, runs hard, solid blocker, solid pass catcher out the backfield, can do a little bit of everything. Not an elite athlete, not a special athlete, but just good enough. Also, when you get to Brian Robinson Jr., Alabama, right, they have a lot of success. But first of all, let's start with this guy. Very good pass blocker. Very good in blitz protection. He's very good at uh, going up to the second level and blocking, always finding guys to block. He runs extremely hard, powerful, thick, strong man. He's a guy who can come in and be an immediate contributor in a rotation right away. Uh, and you'll look at him and he'll be like, oh, fantasy football guys, you will go, he had 100 yards this game. Oh, he had 100 yards this game, right? And then he does a lot of the little things. He's probably a guy who can play on special teams and make an impact on that side of uh, on that part of the game as well. Guys to watch out for, like I said, James Cook uh, out of Georgia. He's somebody that maybe in a few years, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the best running back in this class. Again, the NFL bloodlines, his quickness, his ability to make people miss, his vision, and again, the pass catching out the backfield. That is something that really separates him. He runs real routes, and not like this little stuff out the backfield like some of these other guys do. Uh, he's a guy you can kind of line up as maybe a mini slot receiver, uh, maybe kind of have an Alvin Kamara-like impact. Alvin Kamara was a guy who... Fell down third round, right? This guy who was at Alabama, then at Tennessee, and he ends up being like an offensive player of the year. James Cook has that type of potential. Everything works out where it could be like, holy crap, this dude's pretty damn good. Power backs. Hassan Haskins out of Michigan. Uh, runs hard. Powerful guy. Got really high reps on the bench press for running backs. Uh, Jerome Ford, Cincinnati. Uh, strong, physical, former Alabama guy, was at Alabama, then transferred to Cincinnati. He Again, he runs hard. He's powerful. He's somebody nobody wants to tackle. These are guys who are going to be your big, bruising backs, guys who you're going to want to hand the ball ball to on uh, fourth and inches, third and one. When you're at the goal line, There's these are those type of running backs. And then we get to the speed backs here. Pierre Strong Jr. out of South Dakota State. Phenomenal acceleration and open field speed. It's special. If he gets a crease of daylight, he's gone, and you're not catching him. Also, Ty Chandler, another guy in North Carolina, small, uh, very quick feet, twitchy, gets a bit of daylight, he's gone. Uh, these guys are smaller. Actually, Pierre Strong's a little bit bigger and thicker of a man than uh, a Ty Chandler, and Ty Chandler can actually make an impact uh, catching passes off the backfield as well. So I think both these are going to be kind of your speed scat backs, scat backs who can make explosive plays in the running game, get you those 20-yard gains. Uh 
Pass catchers, again, Rashad White out of Arizona State. He's a guy who I think is a very good pass catcher. Was after James Cook and Donovan Knight. Those are two guys who really excel. Spiller would be up there as well. Uh, but those are kind of the top four that I was like, okay, these guys are really good in the pass game for running backs. He's another guy who I think that's going to be his role. Like how New England has those guys who they're only on the field because they're really good on third down at pass catching. I think uh, Rashad White could be one of those guys. So that's my overall thoughts on this running back class. Nothing too special here. Only one guy I have a first-round grade on. Uh, but Hall, Spiller, uh, Walker, Ely, all these guys, they can all contribute in a running back pool. That's what the NFL has gone to anyway as of late in terms of being a number one true uh, feature back. I mean, I think Isaiah Spiller can do it. Donovan Knight, Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, and I think uh, James Cook can all do it. I think all four of the four or five of those guys can all do it. And the other guys, I think are guys who can fit into a role, whether it's being a running back in bliss production, being a power back on goal line, short yarded situations, being that explosive back to get you those 10, 20 yard chunk plays when you need them. Whether it's a guy who strictly uses the pass catcher, all these guys can fit into their little roles on a team in a running back pool. And that's something that we see a lot of teams do, right? The Buffalo Bills, they use a running back pool. Most of these teams use a running back pool, to be honest. San Francisco 49ers, they're a team that comes to mind. We think of a running back pool. The L.A. Rams, they use a lot of running backs. Uh, the Bengals don't. They have a feature guy in Joe Mixon. But it's like that happens a lot in the NFL. Two, three. Sometimes you even use four running backs throughout a season. We even saw the Cleveland Browns when they were down Chubb and Kareem Hunt. They had a, uh, and I'm forgetting his name right now, but they had some random dude nobody ever heard of who had 100 yards on uh, Thursday Night Football against the Broncos, I believe. So, Running back position that has some depth, guys who can definitely contribute in the league. So now I'm going to get into the wide receivers. Uh, I just want to compare this wide receiving class to the one of last year. The wide receiver class of last year, and I'll give uh, my uh, rankings, right? So the rankings for this year, first, let's start with this. Number one, wide receiver number one, Chris Olave out of Iowa State. Number two, Drake London out of USC. Number three, Jameson Williams out of Alabama. Number four, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. Uh, I did make another change. Uh, Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati. I put him at number five, and then John Michi. I just switched those two. John Michi at number six. And then if you look at my wide receiver rankings from uh, last year, I had Jamar Chase number one. Devontae Smith, number two, Jalen Waddle, number three, Rondell Moore, number four. He was from Purdue. He came out of Purdue. Number five, uh, Rashad Botman out of Minnesota. Those are my top five guys. I'll have first-round grades on all of those guys. Uh, the receiving class last year with Jamar Chase, obviously, if you guys have listened to anything I've said, I think Jamar Chase, him or Tyreek Hill, those are the two best wide receivers in the NFL. In my opinion, uh, Jamar Chase is even better than I could have ever imagined he would be particularly this early. Uh, I think Jalen Waddle had a really good year. Devontae Smith underrated because Jalen Hurts struggles to throw the football. But I think if you get Devontae Smith with a really good quarterback, we could see some special things for Devontae Smith. And I always said Devontae Smith is Antonio Brown without the crazy. So that just lets you know what Devontae Smith is working with in terms of talent, in terms of what I believe he can do. Uh, but this receiving class, I'm not seeing it. Chris Olave, if I'm going to compare him to anybody, I'll make a Buffalo Bills analogy, Stephon Diggs. Uh, so it's like Stephon Diggs. Don't think he's in Jamar Chase's uh, class right now. I think, but I do think he, Chris Olave could eventually get to that. Be a for sure top ten wide receiver. Uh, Drake London uh, not in Jamar's class, and, and I'll just because I did this and I wrote this out combined rankings of last year. So Jamar Chase would be number one still. Devontae Smith would be number two. Number three would be Chris Olave. So I put Chris Olave over Jalen Waddle. I put Drake London over Jalen Waddle, and I put Jamison Williams over Jalen Waddle. 
and I'd have Jalen Waddle at number six. So if we're combining all these wide receivers, my one and two would still be one and two uh, in this class, though the three, four, and five would be a little bit different because Jalen Waddle would be sixth and seven would be Rondell Moore. Eight would be Garrett Wilson. Nine, I said Alec Pierce. Ten, John Meachie. And 11, Rashad Botman. Uh, and actually, if I'm going to be generous, I guess I could switch Rashad Botman and John Meachie. Uh, that's how I have it. I think when we look at this in terms of special ability, Jamar Chase, the physicality, the ability to run through contact, Chris Olave can't do that. Uh, Chris Olave is a really good route runner. He has underrated physicality, but Jamar Chase uh, has like a running back in terms of his lower half. Chris Olave is not working with that. Uh, when you look at Devontae Smith, special route runner, smaller, uh, I think he's probably a little bit more explosive than a Chris Olave was, but Chris Olave still really good. Uh, but it's the depth, I think, might be able to can may be able to rival last year's, but not the top end when we look at this class. So I don't think, you know, for teams who need a wide receiver, the Bills, the reports, the Bills are apparently looking at trading Stephon Diggs. Uh, the Chiefs, they're looking, they're obviously going to be looking for a wide receiver with them trading Tyreek Hill. If the Seattle Seahawks try, uh, try to trade DK Metcalf, they could be in the wide receiver business, right? So with all these teams potentially looking for a wide receiver in the draft, you're not going to find a Jamar Chase. Uh, you can find guys who will be able to contribute and have really good rookie seasons, I think, uh, and be pro bowlers, maybe make an all-pro, but you're not going to find that generational talent at wide receiver. It's not in the class. Just wanted to say that in terms of as I was cross-examining this year's wide receivers with last year's. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break and then cut up next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to get to Colin Beasley to talk some Villanova basketball. Cut up next out of the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Colin Beasley, sports editor for the Villanovan. How you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. So, first question I got for you. How did Villanova get here? They're in the Final Four. How did they get here? Villanova's gotten here by doing the little things right. Apart from the game against Delaware, first game of the tournament where Villanova was just clearly the better team, Villanova's played the right way and kept the pace slow and made free throws and done all the little things like rebounding, jump stops, pump fakes, little stuff in order to get wins over possibly more talented teams in Michigan and Ohio State and in Houston. I'd say the game against Houston was... One of the ugliest games of basketball I've ever seen where Houston tried to out Villanova Villanova, but because Villanova made 15 out 15 of its free throws and did the little things, it was able to advance against a very, very good Houston team. When did you know, and maybe there was a moment throughout the season or maybe it was a moment throughout the tournament, when were you kind of like, okay, this is a Final Four team? Um... I'd say at the beginning of the season it was tough because Villanova played such a tough non-conference schedule. They played against Baylor, Purdue, UCLA, just 
because of that, they didn't necessarily have the greatest record straight off the bat. Yet, when it got to January and February, and Villanova was beating pretty much every team not named Marquette, I began to realize that this team was as good as we expected it to be at the beginning of the year. And um, I, I'm going to be honest, I, I thought that Villanova would have struggled if it had played Arizona. I was a little bit concerned about um, Houston, even in, even in that Elite game, Eight game. But when I saw that Villanova, I'd say, I'd say the moment for me where I realized that a trip to New Orleans was a possibility was at the very beginning of that Elite Eight game against Houston, where Villanova, Jay had talked the day before about how Villanova would have to survive the initial punch to the gut and have to adapt to Houston's mentality, and then it was the other way around, and Villanova was the one that jumped out to the early lead. So I'd say that was, that was when I realized that Villanova could really do it. But, of course, it has been a season with high expectations. So at the beginning, it was expected. In the middle, it was not so sure. And then at the end, it's kind of become a team that has reached what it was expected to reach. Why did you think that Villanova could have struggled against Arizona? Just because of Arizona's talent and Arizona's length. I have, obviously, Benedict Mathurin is one of the best players in college basketball projected lottery pick. Villanova doesn't have a true NBA prospect on its roster. Also, with Christian Coloco, Villanova's a smaller team. The biggest guy that gets minutes is 6'8", Eric Dixon. He's our, our, as close as we can get to a big man. And dealing with seven-footers, we Villanova dealt with, um, with uh, Hunter Dickinson. But other than, I felt like, Villanova would have struggled against a Christian Coloco type big that Arizona had. Would you say Villanova's in the toughest region? I think so. I think that just top to bottom, the teams are really, really, really good. Even like 11 seed Michigan, that's a really talented 11 seed that came in with top five expectations throughout the year obviously the wins and losses weren't there but they're the entire region was just loaded with really really good teams so I would say that Villanova has come out of the toughest region and but it's definitely paid the price for the difficult games that it has had to play what do you think what would you say I've said because it sounds like the one you talk about right you knew you were like okay this is a final four team that Houston game would you say that Houston game was the biggest game for them so far I what, what, what exactly do you mean by biggest game biggest game of the year biggest game of the year in terms of kind of showing who they are yes I'd say I'd say so because Houston is in Houston is an upstart team. Everyone went into the game talking about how tough Houston is, how dominant they've been. Ken Palm had them as the number two team in the country, and the game was played in San Antonio, where I was lucky enough to be there, but it was 90% Houston fans. It was a hostile environment. The crowd was on its feet every time Houston scored a bucket, trying to will their team to a victory. But Villanova was able to say, you know what, I don't care about the circumstances. I was prepared for this because of the early season, uh, early season's tough test that Jay Wright put them through. So I, I'd say that's 
probably been their most important game of the season when uh, it's, it's a bit of a cop-out answer saying that the game that gets them to the Final Four was the one that showed that they belonged there, but I'd say that was the that was the biggest moment for this team. Do you feel like Villanova was underrated coming into the tournament? In terms of seeding, no, because Villanova deserves a two-seed, but I do think that Villanova didn't get the respect that they deserved coming in. Villanova's an old team with Colin Gillespie, with Jermaine Samuels, with saw a stat before the Sweet 16 where I think it was six out of seven guys in Villanova's rotation had played 15 minutes or more in a Sweet 16 game. So everyone had been there before where younger teams might have wilted under the pressure. Villanova had that experience to lean back on and had those lofty goals and the experience needed to reach them. So I didn't see very many people with Villanova going to the Final Four and advancing out of this region, yet now here they stand. Just talk about the play of Colin Gillespie and how integral he's been to this team's success. He's unbelievable. Um, he's every single time the team needs a play, any sort of play, the right decision. Colin Gillespie is always there. He's um, he just has a knack for doing for always making the right play and running Jay Rice offense to perfection. Villanova has one of the slowest paces in the country, and Colin Gillespie is the guy who pulls the strings, has the baton in his hands, is able to orchestrate that entire offense. I'm going back again to that Houston game. Colin Gillespie made one field goal in that game, just just one from the field. He was clearly a little bit hobbled by the ankle injuries he's sustained. Yet, when Villanova needed a bucket up to at Houston with the entire stadium on its feet with five minutes left, Colin hit that shot, and it was the only shot he made, yet it was the most important shot of the night. So, Colin has been the guy that has gotten the Wildcats this far, and if if Villanova is able to win on Saturday, it will be because of Colin Gillespie. And you mentioned they play one of the slowest styles in the country. Uh, why do you think that is? It's... I think it comes with the experience. Villanova knows that that can be that's how it can play. It doesn't need to. It's not necessarily a team that's going to. It's going to um, just try to outscore you. It's going to try to grind you out. And um, I haven't dove into Jay Wright's playbook. I can't say exactly why. And he said that he doesn't care about pace. Yet Villanova knows his identity and knows that when it is able to get it to a slow game, get its opponent to be forced to grind it out then Villanova has the advantage even when other teams have NBA-type talent. Yeah, and when you mentioned NBA-type talent, it's interesting. Villanova, they're really not a one-and-done school, and I don't know if that's because Jay Wright, in his mind, he has like the ideal kid, the profile, the ideal kid he wants to recruit, uh, but they, they don't get the one-and-dones. They're more developing uh, why do you think it's kind of that's just the culture there? Well, why do you think that is? It's like that's the route that they go in terms of how they recruit and the type of guys they get because they don't get a lot of surefire uh, NBA prospects. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you bring that up because Jay was just asked about one and done guys on his press conference on Monday. He said that Villanova would be willing to have those one and one one and done guys. It's not like it actively avoids seeking them out. Those one and done guys just have to buy into doing the. I think his quote was doing 
what we do here at Villanova, doing the things we do at Villanova. So Villanova gets those, can get really talented players, but they all have to find their place in Villanova's offense. Like, for example, there are four freshmen in this incoming class. Only one of them was able to actually play any minutes whatsoever, like this season at all. Trey Patterson didn't play. Nana Njoku didn't play. Angelo Brizzy redshirted. And Jordan Longino, who was our seventh man off the bench, was finally getting into the rotation, getting some minutes right at the end of the season. And then he, uh, he, um, he suffered a knee injury right before the tournament. So Villanova, with, with all the young guys, they make sure that they know their place in Villanova offense. And usually that takes a year or two of being behind also interesting to note is that I believe it was in 2012 that Villanova had to, they were going after these one and done guys and Jay Wright suffered his only losing season in 2012 because the team just wasn't clicking. They weren't playing Villanova basketball. And after that, Jay's decided to change his entire recruiting philosophy to go after guys based on fit, not necessarily based on their talent. Who was the last one, uh, one and done guy they even had? I honestly don't know. I don't think it's been in recent history. That's, that's so I'm trying to think, like, Dante DiVincenzo, like, those, he wasn't a one-and-done, right? Don't believe so. I'm I'm not sure who the last one-and-done guy was, honestly. Even Jalen Brunson, who's pretty good in the NBA, he was a four-year guy, I believe, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, that's never been something they do, and it is interesting that you mentioned, like, his one losing season <laughs> was when they, they did go... Maybe going for guys that are one and dones. Uh, so when he says that, though, and he says Villanova basketball, do you think it just means that if there's a one and done, you have to be okay? You might not play. You might not get the shots. Because a lot of times if you want one and done, like, obviously you're thinking the league, so you want stats, minutes, shine, pub, all that. And that kind of goes against the antithesis of, okay, I'm going to fit into a system. Or maybe even worse, not even play. Yeah, Villanova's a system. It's not designed to make one guy star pretty much regardless around of who the offense is around like Colin Gillespie is the leading scorer yet he's not and although he's the top dog he's not the guy that is always gets the plays schemed up for him um, but yeah none of pretty much until Jordan Longino carved out a role for himself and proved that he was ready none of the freshmen were playing and now that he's out injured none of the freshmen are playing again what do you think makes Jay Wright so special as a head coach? I'd say it's that system. He's not necessarily... Um, one of one of the uh, knocks I've seen on Coach K, this isn't something that I necessarily agree or disagree with, but I've seen recently scrolling through Twitter that people are saying that Coach K is carried by the talent in is one-and-done recruits and always having the most talented men. I don't think that's true. I think that he's an outstanding head coach, but for Jay Wright, it's certainly not true. For example, Colin Gillespie has played himself into, I wrote a piece calling him the quintessential Villanova basketball player, and he's played his way into the Villanova record books, and he's one of the greatest Villanova basketball players of all time. He came in as a three-star recruit. He wasn't recruited by anyone going into his senior year. And then Villanova was one of the few top offers he got. Yet Jay Wright has been able to coach him into becoming 
such an outstanding basketball player and such an integral piece for this team. So I'd say that Jay Wright is able to, he knows exactly what he's looking for, and his system is so good that it's able to, it's able to turn Villanova into a really, really good team year in, year out, regardless of the pieces it has. Do you think Jay Wright's the most underrated coach in college basketball? Sorry, I didn't hear that one. You think he's the most underrated coach in college basketball? I wouldn't say the most underrated because everyone accepts he's top five at a bare minimum. I do firmly believe he's the best coach in college basketball, and I'm hoping that uh, we get a Villanova-Duke Final Four and we get to see a passing of the baton as college basketball's top coach from Krzyzewski to Wright. Okay, so since you firmly believe he's the best coach in college basketball, make your case for him. It doesn't matter who Jay Wright has. You can give Jay a bunch of players, a bunch of Colin Gillespie's, a bunch of like, a bunch of players who wouldn't necessarily be NBA guys. Like, name one NBA player on this Villanova team. Colin came back trying to improve his stock, yet he's not necessarily in NBA mock drafts. Justin Moore, again, a guy who's very, very good. Villanova's second option, yet he's not going to the NBA. So many players, there's so many teams are just carried by pure talent, pure um, pure NBA readiness. Villanova's not that team. Villanova is in the Final Four because of the way it plays as a team and the way it plays under right, in right system. Okay, that's a good case. Could I not make the argument, though, if we're talking about Coach K back in the day, he had guys like Bobby Hurley, Christian Leitner, who were staying later? Yeah, you absolutely can. And I do believe that Jay has taken a lot of stuff from Coach K and how he was initially doing it. I just mean in the the current era, what Jay's doing, how he's able to compete with guys like K with vastly different teams, teams made up completely differently, is very, very impressive. That's a good argument. So, <clears throat> when you look at Villanova as a program, I, I do feel like, and I do want to know your opinion, especially somebody who goes to school, then you're kind of in the mix there. Do you feel like Villanova's program is underrated? Because I feel like when people talk about, at least nationally, like the top college basketball programs, you're usually going to hear like Duke or Kentucky. You usually don't hear Villanova. Do you think the Villanova program's underrated? I'd say yes. Villanova won in 2016 and 2018, and people tend to forget how much success Villanova has had recently. Also, I um, I saw that you talked to Nathan I, Nathan Swafar recently, the co-sports editor from the Kansan. I talked to him as well. We did a Q&A, one for the Can- University of Kansas, and one for the Villanova. We just did a Q&A on each other's teams and talked about the programs and success they've had, and put it up on our website shameless plug there but um he referred to the blue buds of college basketball and he he did not include (laughs) everyone's built this is the blue bud blood final final four with kansas duke north carolina and it seems like villanova is the clear number four in those blue bloods yet people forget all this success that villanova's had both now and even even before that, like Villanova's been very good for the maybe not as long as Kansas, but very, very good for a long time. 
I, I, I think his like point was to be a blue blood, you have to have, like, a level of success for, like, 30 years. Well, I do think that might be a tad bit archaic, but, uh... <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I, I feel like Villanova has established itself as a blue blood, top dog of the Big East, national power, always seemingly in the national championship conversation. Yet, for whatever reason, Villanova still doesn't get that success. Oh, because we play FCS football. I think that's the that's the main reason. Just because the Big East doesn't sponsor football and because Villanova plays in the uh, Colonial Athletic Association on the gridiron, because of that, the basketball team doesn't get the national acclaim that it sometimes deserves. And it's not the old Big East, too. I think that probably, in terms of just national reputation. That, that is fair. That is fair. I still believe that Syracuse should be in the Big East, but that's an entirely separate conversation. Well, yeah, because if you're right, if all these old teams, right, you know, back in the days of the old Big East, and yet all these teams going against each other, right, Syracuse wasn't in the ACC and whatnot, uh, you would probably think of Villanova a little bit differently. you probably think of the ACC a, a little bit differently as well, because that probably props their conference up as well. Why do you think Syracuse should still be in the Big East? I mean, that, that's that's a purely emotional decision. Oh. It's not something I've got rationed for because obviously they do they do have that big that big football program, and I do believe the Big East is better because it's a basketball first conference, or it's better than it would be if they tried to, you know, um, halfway go into football, halfway go into basketball because it's a basketball first conference and makes it better. So that's that's purely emotional. Syracuse is definitely making the right financial decision for being in the Big East. I just wish they were still in the league. That's where Big East basketball used to be special. That used to be the conference, which is kind of crazy to think. Yeah. So we're going to consider Nova a blue blood then. Uh, where would you rank them in terms of blue bloods? I'd say right now, at the uh, in, in terms of the right now, Villanova is right up there at the top. I'd say there hasn't been anyone who's recently been able to mask the success that Villanova has had. If you go over a longer longer period, then i I can definitely I can definitely admit that Duke should be up there over a, over a longer period. And Kansas, I'll give them the respect they deserve. But in terms of the right now, Villanova deserves its place at top. All the basketball. Yeah, you know, it, it's really interesting, too. Uh, I was actually just talking to somebody, and I think he was looking at the Villanova's roster, and I haven't looked at their roster, but uh, they recruit all Northeast kids for the most part? Yes. No, all yeah. Northeast kids. Why do you think that is? I, I'm just curious. I'm not sure I have an answer for that, honestly. It's, I don't know if it's something intentional. I know in our 2022 recruiting class, Villanova went and went to uh, West Texas and got this kid, Brendan Housen, who will sit on the Villanova bench likely for a year or two, but apparently he's one of the best three-point shooters the state of Texas has ever seen. However, apart from that, it is all Northeast kids. Caleb Daniels is from Louisiana, yet he's pretty much the only guy on the Villanova roster who isn't absolutely, isn't from the DMV, from Pennsylvania, or from New England. Pretty sure I'm remembering that correctly. So, yeah, I don't, I don't fully have an answer to that. I think, I think it, it comes with 
part of the part of kids looking for a college experience that's something like the Big East and isn't something like the college football that's played in Michigan, Ohio, Texas, etc. But it's definitely something that's interesting and something I'd like to get a full, full knowledgeable answer for you on. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, New England, that's not like a, the New England area, that's not like a basketball high school power. Like, I, I, I don't know. And maybe it doesn't matter because he doesn't go for one and dones anyway. But you would just think, like, I mean, New York is, New York City is kind of known for basketball. But it's it just interesting when I, when I uh, hear somebody tell me that. I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty interesting itself. Uh, last six years, three Final Four teams, which ranked them all in order for me? In terms of how they went into the Final Four or in general? In general. General 2018 has to be the top. That was an incredible Nova team and one of the best college basketball teams of all time. I'd say 2016 is probably the second, and 2022 probably ranks third among them, in my opinion. Did, oh, by the way, did you remind Nathan what they did to Kansas in 2018? Oh, of course I did. I give him a ton of respect for that final line as he said that he's predicting a Kansas win and he says that Kansas will finally get over that Villanova demon that they've had for so many years. But yes, I did remind him what Villanova did to Kansas in 2018 and even what Kansas, or even what Villanova and Jermaine Samuels did to Kansas in 2019. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, so who's number two? Who's number two? I'd say the 2016 team. I think, I think that was an, another really good team. And with, with the fact that Villanova hadn't won in so many years, I felt like they had to do a little bit more than this year's team did, just because they were the ones who were finally trying to get over that hump. Whereas the leaders of this year's team, Colin Gillespie and Jermaine Samuels, were on that 2018 team. So I'd say that the 2016 championship and that run was more impressive how good just in general was that 2018 team because even the dominated team like that in the national final even like their ball movement uh it, it was really impressive and it was really special to watch because uh, you don't see that a lot of college basketball. I feel like you see a lot more like iso stuff just like high pick and roll like just the ball movement the moving the cutting all the motion uh just talk about how special the team that was in general yeah, that was, like I said, one of the best college basketball teams ever. It really wasn't tested. Every single game was some form of domination just all the way to the championship. What was it, 79-62 over Michigan? A very good Michigan team, yet it was still a 17-point win. And then the Final Four, that game, I'm going to be honest, I don't even remember who the opponent was because of how how bad that scoreline was, how much of an obliteration Villanova put on them. So that team, that team was truly special. It was like even, even guys coming off the bench like DiVincenzo have been able to have some form of success in the NBA just because they had they played so well in Bright's system that they were able to translate it into next-level looks, which is truly a special thing to do. And then in 2016, you have probably one of the most iconic endings to a game. Oh, yeah. Because that, that was Archie who made the last shot. 
Chris Jenkins. Oh, it wasn't Chris Jenkins? It wasn't Chris Jenkins? It was Archie. No, it was Chris Jenkins, not Archie. Excuse me. He played in the... He had a hot uh, cup of coffee in the NBA, too. Uh, but uh, just like how iconic of a shot was that. Greatest shot in college... Well, at Villanova, and just pretty much anywhere around the Northeast, the Big East, whatever, that's just known as the shot. Doesn't need anything else. I think Chris Jenkins... Um, I think his name on Twitter right now is Chris the Shot Jenkins. So okay. that just shows you how iconic that shot was. And lastly, give me this. Uh, top five Villanova players ever. Or top five, we can do top five this decade. Or in the J. Wright era. Top five in the J. Wright era? Ooh, that's tough. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and give them to you in no particular order, and if I forget a guy, I sincerely apologize. I um, my knowledge of Villanova history isn't as good as it should be, but you've got to have Josh Hart. I would this is recency bias, but I would put Colin Gillespie in there just because of what he's done for this team so many times. Jalen Brunson for sure, hundred percent. Um, let's see beyond that. I'm tempted. I'm tempted to put in Kyle Lowry just because of the success that he's had in the NBA and how he's been the for a while he was the Villanova guy in the NBA. Is um so I I think I'll I think I'll put him on there, and he might not necessarily be the most talented Villanova player, but again another Mister Villanova to round out my top five. I'm gonna I'm gonna just say Phil Booth. That's not necessarily because of playing or whatever, but just because of what he meant to this program, because of all the all the things he did and how he was the all-time leading leader in games played until Colin broke it this year in his fifth year. I'd say he deserves inclusion, but obviously there's so many other talented guys that should be on that list. I'd say as of right now, that's, that's the top five I'm going to go with. Colin, I want to thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And once again, I want to thank Colin for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I'll thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 412th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.